Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. I'm Emily and I'm absolutely fine but I heard this weird ringing about 25 minutes ago and I started moving my head in a strange way and Annabelle was like uh everything okay and I said oh I can hear this weird ringing and she gave me the greatest gift that a person can ever do which is to say yes don't worry there is ringing there is a weird ringing I think it might be the lights but it makes such a difference when someone kind of confirms that you are not too hot it is actually hot or you're not about to fall over because there is a cliff. I don't know. The, the idea that you are not imagining it or that it isn't coming from some weird dysfunction in the body, which, let's face it, we are drowning in. Anyway, dysfunction inside and outside. Thank you. I hear ringing all day, every day. So I'm not to be trusted, but I'm very glad that it made you feel better, particularly you when did. I clench my teeth, which I often do, obviously, with my horrible personality. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Annabelle, and I'm absolutely fine. But I have always seen myself as a bit of a sort of drifter. I'll just sort of go along with what's happening and I don't really, you know, step outside my lane very much. I don't think I'm very brave. But Emily said to me this morning, you've been having radical ideas recently. Honestly, since January, I don't know what, what's come over you, but it's like one week after the next, there's more radicalness. Is that why when I say to you, I've been thinking or I've had an idea, your eyes go swivel-eyed with panic? Totally swivel-eyed. And I have to reassure, I have to say, okay, well, we're still okay. And because that's my terrible, like, people-pleasing personality, like, you know, abandoned child vibe, um, which we can talk about in a minute. But um, and you're like, no, I think we should do this. I think we should do this. Yes, I think we should move offices because we need to be in the world more. I feel like we've still got a foot in lockdown. Or I think we should write this thing because, you know, we're in the right place to do it. Or I think we should stop you may have noticed, listeners, that we're now doing the podcast every other week. Actually, we're about to do a run of six weeks weekly. But just to change up the rhythm. And I think what I'm trying to do is create space rather yeah. than just creating more noise in my own head. I think I'm trying to create space for more stuff to come in and for change to happen because I'm in that place where I feel a bit lost, feel a bit broken, a bit stuck, a bit trapped certainly disconnected from any sense of joy. I think I said last week that something really good happened and I only knew that I was happy because my body went a bit shaky. Yeah. I couldn't actually connect to the emotion of joy. And so, you know, this week we wanted to ask our listeners, are you experiencing all these things? And if you are, could you possibly be experiencing a midlife crisis? I mean, it's a triggering term, that, because the midlife crisis gets such a bad rap. 
it's become so maligned, you know, with men we think of sex and speed. Yeah. And um, women we think of sort of irrelevance and desperation because everything to do with women is always so punishing. <laughs> but the atmosphere and reputation around the term midlife crisis doesn't make it any less real, any less painful. So maybe this identity storm, which is what it feels like for me in terms of being churned up but also flattened, maybe it's not a disaster, maybe it's an opportunity. And this is what psychologist Dr. Julie Hannon, author of the Midlife Crisis Handbook, thinks. And she is dedicated to helping us find out how we might increase our self-awareness and fling open the doors to the future. Imagine that. We are all ears. Dr. Julie Hannon, welcome. And how are you? Thank you. Uh, I'm absolutely fine, but my midlife crisis is killing me. (laughs) (laughs) You're not supposed to be having a midlife crisis, Dr. Julie. (laughs) Dr. Julie's just admitted that she's wearing a dress that arrived this morning, but she's kept the label in because she doesn't know if she likes it or not. She doesn't know how to get dressed anymore, which tells us that she's one of us. But also, we thought you'd solve the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it comes comes and goes, I think. I think it's quite cyclical. Um, You know, as you say, this identity storm, this uh, existential crisis, really so yeah but I think our age you know for anyone 40 to sort of 65 oh it's very relevant it's flipping hard work Mm. definitely Mm. I mean I think again you know you never know when it might strike or what that might be because also at this point in your life you know in the book you talk about the pivot generation so you are I mean it's enough to give you vertigo Emily but your head is (laughs) spinning from young people to old people as you might be looking after children and you're also looking after aging parents and everybody's super needy um and you're in a sort of desperate whirly gig in the middle absolutely hard to find your footing in that Oh, without a doubt. I, I think this sandwich generation is just really, really tricky. I, and, and I think also women have more expectations than they did sort of 30, 40 years ago. We want our space. We're desperate for time out and um, for the quietness, time to think, time to reflect and see where our next move forward would be whilst juggling all the responsibility of teenagers and elderly parents. Yeah, definitely. It's very real for a lot of women. Well, we make excuses, don't we? We don't think, I, I, I need to look at myself and I need to work out what I want and what's going to make me happy. We think, of course I feel like this because my teenage daughter's being an asshole, or my elderly mother's being a dick, or yep. my elderly father, you know, desperately needs this, or my child needs this, or my... You know, so we're so run by other people's needs that yes. we don't believe that our own are valid. We just think that we're just, you know, slight casualty of midlife war. And elderly parents and teens are famously kind of biddable, lovely, kind humans who think about other people and whatever I mean you know yes, so and make us all feel wanted <laughs> and valuable <laughs> yeah lucky us. also we feel very selfish as well if we actually take time out for ourselves as well so I know certainly a lot of, a lot of the responses that I've got is people do feel selfish that they put themselves first but now is the time to really you know prioritize the self really hard to work out what you want I mean I think I'd love yep. to talk to you about how one might go about working out what will make us happy, what will be nutritious steps to take. I mean, you're interesting in your book about the fact that sometimes we're run by the needs and the hopes and the dreams that we had at 20, and they may no longer be the things that are going to deliver us, you know, into a happy place. This is what chimed with me so intensely, actually, reading the book and the experience, is the idea exactly that, you know, we sort of follow such a stringent kind of set of rules set by external factors, school, 
your parents exact yep. family the patriarchy we, yeah the patriarchy oh, then we go then we course. go out into the world and we we sort of fulfill these expectations or not or whatever and then suddenly age 40 you know eight or five or three or whatever one of the 40s you think actually fuck this i don't want to do this yeah but then you think oh my god how can i possibly make that change and if i believe that i don't want to do this have i just made a mockery of my entire life yeah it's so awful and you can see why you know you do feel totally upended and in therefore oh, in crisis yeah. anyway tell yes. us what to do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i think people also feel like exactly as you say what um you know i don't want to do this but i don't actually know what i want to do and i think that's the big hole that a lot of people kind of fall into um so what i what i try to do in the book is kind of replicate what i do with my um private clients so just so it's accessible for everybody and there just aren't any books out there particularly on midlife crisis it's all oh it's a midlife awakening blah 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 great 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 it certainly doesn't feel like it when you're having an existential identity crisis well actually Brenny Brown in in one of her brilliant TED talks said and then I had a spiritual awakening nervous breakdown (laughs) (laughs) so there you go exactly and and also there's um, a lot of the um, uh, like midlife books out there that are psychology based are very young in psychology, which is wonderful stuff. But it is very mythological and based on like the Odyssey and there's a, it's really heavy stuff. And I was like, yeah, but people want to know what we're going to do now. What can they, what can they write down? What can they check out? You know, this sort of stuff. So I start with values and, you know, values are really important because we start to create a value base for our life when we're about seven, eight, nine, ten, based on the surroundings that we're in, <clears throat> based on our experiences at school and our, you know, and our family relationships. And they're kind of laid down by sort of early 20s. So you kind of launch out into the world after school, university, into your first job, whatever it might be. And your values of like, um, you know, an adolescent, young 20 year old might be sort of power and popularity and recognition. And so we carry this, we carry this journey through. But when we get to sort of 40, and actually a lot of people, especially on TikTok, are kind of messaging me in their early 30s saying this is exactly how I feel, that we don't stop and actually look at our values and reevaluate what's important to us now. Because at that sort of age from 30, 40 onwards, we might be looking at autonomy or how can we contribute back into the world or we might want some self, more self-awareness. So it's different, but we, we just carry on going. And then I think that's what happens when your life doesn't seem to fit with you anymore. And that might be you have a sense of underachievement, complete boredom. Uh, I do a lot of work on burnout because I think people are following lives that actually that don't connect with them. It's like following somebody else's dream. And that's exhausting. But we don't, we're afraid to get off the treadmill because what if it all goes tits? you know, then really, and we don't know where we're going to go with that. So, so yes, yeah, so the values are the core because they guide our behaviour and they need updating. So I did my values. Yes. I chose six, but my problem is that my, I feel like my values conflict with each other because mm. mine are like joy and adventure, yep. but also being of use, kindness, yeah. being liked yeah. and predictability. <laughs> adventure and yeah. predictability. I know. Do you see what I mean? And also being of use, but also sort of, um, and kind, but also adventurous. I don't know why I think those things are. No, I would have thought they conflicted if you'd said, you know, kindness and, you know, making millions of pounds. <laughs> that sort of thing. But those, I'm sure those can be all sort of, you know, Achieved. blended together. But also, and I was worried about being liked, being a value, because I always think Well, you that, think that that's too shallow. 
Well, also too damaging to you because you're such a people pleaser. Exactly. Yeah. But I was quite relieved to see it on your list of values. I was like, yes, I like to be liked. And that's okay. Because I do. Yeah. And I think that's a, yeah. that does inform a lot of my sort of personality. Oh, my God. Try going to the post office with Emily. I mean, it's the <laughs> coziest, chattiest, interminable, you know, exchange of sort of, you know, respect, conversation, joy and connection. Yes. You're very good at being liked. <laughs> But I think it is about digging a bit deeper down into those values. So, you know, the the call to adventure is very real for a lot of people in their 40s and 50s. But that doesn't mean you've got to up sticks and, you know, head across the world for like six months or so. Adventure is such a personal thing that it might be that you just head out to a new class or something or you leave the kids with somebody else or, you know, it's that or or you get a motorbike like I did. So it's it's whatever. Did you really get a motorbike? (laughs) What kind did you get? Oh, well, I've, I've only got a little 125 at the moment because I passed my test about um, three or four months ago. So, um, but yeah, so, so, but that was kind of, I've always wanted to ride a motorbike. And so I enjoyed that. But actually when I'm on it now, I do feel very exposed. <laughs> you know, I'm just like a little bit, it's a little bit dangerous. Are you a bit like, oh, so, was this really what I wanted? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so it might be more about getting a little fast car maybe. But, you, you know, everybody's idea of what adventure means is different. So it's just how can you not neglect the these parts of yourself that are going to make up the whole really that you can be like you can be of use to people and I think that is important in my work you know I I, I like to work with I like to work with clients I work with a lot of NHS staff you know it's it's that contribution sort of back but also it's how do I make the most of my time outside of that work that might fill that need for adventure that call to adventure. You talk in your book and it's something I experience about uh, well for me it's an increasing need to isolate I mean, yes. partly it's because I think I'm, you know, very much a sort of, what do you call What do you call it? You'd know. Is it a sort of extroverted introvert? So mm-hmm. I shout and scream and dance around um, and then feel shattered by being around people. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, when I'm yeah. with people, I want to be alone. And when I'm alone, I feel lonely. But I mean, my, my need to, to be by myself does not feel healthy. It, it doesn't feel like I'm taking space to grow. It feels like I'm, you know, hibernating, but all the time. And is that something you see? Yeah, I mean, is it more recovery that you're having this time alone then? Or is it actual kind of solitude and time for you, self-reflective time? Well, it all blends, it all blends into itself. Yeah, I think increasingly people are realising that they're more introvert than they ever thought that they were. And I'm, yes. I'm definitely introvert. So, I mean, I, I got married last month and um, I don't... <laughs> Yeah, these, yeah. I love this. I love this. Like one minute, she's she's now a newly married know, motorcycle a, maniac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but we don't live together. Congratulations! So, by the way, sorry. Thank you. Yeah, but we don't live together because I, I, he's got um, you know, sixteen year old at home, and I, I like my solitude. Mm. So you know, so I, and that for me feels quite radical, you know, from my Irish Catholic upbringing. So that would be part of the adventure in my life for me, that I'm not just following the norm. So we may live together in the future, but I think we'll always have a flat on the side that I can go to and have some time out and do some writing, have mm. some thinking time. It's really, really important to me. So, and that 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 solitude um, for introverts is so important because that's where the energy comes from so I can do podcasts and I can do bits and pieces on tv but it's really about just being by myself I'm off next week to Devon for a week just 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 alone really but I realize that you also get energy from sort of healthy connection don't you Yes, I suppose definitely. I suppose maybe what happens in midlife is you start to want that balance and you start to notice that balance and you start to maybe yes. just 
pay attention because some of it is we talked about the rules that are set which mm. might dictate your values when you're very young but it's also roles isn't it so yeah, for definitely. me my role was noisy chatterbox so it feels yeah. very radical to think that actually I'm quite a quiet soul yes yes absolutely you know, it feels like I'm yeah. betraying everyone who ever knew me or the people who, who sort of built me yeah, absolutely. And I think this is about a, a lot of the work in the book, a lot of the exercises is kind of recognising the scripts and the roles that we were given and actually questioning how applicable they are now at the age that we are, really. So when you kind of, um, it takes, the book takes you from sort of sorting out your underlying values and how they might have changed to looking at attachments that you have in your life. So that's people, um, objects uh, and core beliefs that no longer work for you. So there will be a cull of friendships because I think as, as, as you age, you want the quality of friendships, not the quantity anymore, really. You, you know, I, I, I meet with friends on a one-to-one -one basis. I don't want to go to groups at all, really, or ladies' days or, you know, Butlin's weekends. I can think of nothing worse. So, you know, I'll do the one-to-one, -one, just, just go out for dinner. So, but also those core beliefs about who you're supposed to be, um, you know, the, the right things to do, um, the career that you're supposed to be in, how many hours you're allowed to work, what makes you productive, all that sort of stuff. That's all up for questioning, really. So and how do we work it out? Well, there's some exercises in the book that kind of say, how are you like your mother? How are you like your father? What, you know, what do, what would they say to you when you were younger to praise you? What were you doing? So was it being productive um, or, or was it just being yourself? Was it being the chatterbox and being able to entertain them, you know, them and the neighbours? Um, and it's 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 all up to, to question, really, as to whether that is working for you now, the person that you find you are in your 40s and 50s and 60s. I thought it was really interesting that how are you like your father, how are you like your mother, or terrifying, because I literally just went, oh, OK, well, I won't be doing that. <laughs> just <like> move <laughs> yeah. Too confronting. Yeah. It's very confronting. It ha definitely and is. And yeah. it's just a tiny question, because obviously when you have kids... Oftentimes you will go, oh, you're like me because you, or whatever, you talk to your children, you go, hey, whatever. And then, and it was very interesting talking to some people on, on holiday over Easter. And all of them were talking about how they were on holiday with their children, but didn't want to go on holiday with their parents ever again. And it's this mm. sort of very strange alchemy where you're like, want one thing, but how do you stop yourself then turning into your parents? And therefore, I know it's an absolutely exhausting process. Yeah. And I, I mean, just eyes at me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's all about self-awareness and the book won't appeal to those people that want six quick steps to kind of sort your shit out. It, it isn't. It, it's an, you know, a midlife crisis is an inward journey. You've got to self-reflect. You've got to find out what works for you. You've got to find out who, who you are actually now and start to build and rejig the different parts of your life so that it aligns with your true values. And that's hard work. And a lot of people don't want to do hard work. Mm. They want it They want it quick, easy. Hence, the midlife awakening. You've got to do this, got to do this, mm. you know. And it, it isn't like that. Mm. This is, you know, this is an existential crisis, which is an identity crisis, but makes you question your very existence. And people float in this space that um, I call in the book, it is liminality. So you are no longer the person that you used to be, but you don't know who you want to become yet. And this is a really scary place, this liminal space. 
you know, where you have to effectively float. And this is where a lot of people make rash decisions and like have affairs and do this and do that because they want to ground themselves so they can say, oh, well, I'm this person or they change jobs. Oh, well, now I'm a, you know, now I'm going to be a lawyer or now I'm going to be this. So just to give themselves that that kind of groundedness. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, but the, if you can stay in that unknown space and think of it more as um, a fertile void, you know, so that, that, that you, you, you are becoming, um, but it's a very fertile space where you can think and try and, you, you know, um, change things in your life to see what fits and where your energy goes. I think you're, so, you're yeah. right, as when we feel very blurred around the edges, we want to grab something that will define us. So if I'm defined by, you know, having an affair with a tennis coach that I do not have, nor will I ever have a (laughs) tennis coach, then that is at least, you know, that that tells me something about who I am. Because I was saying to Emily before we started, if you ask me to describe what I'm like as a person, I couldn't answer you. (laughs) I I wouldn't know where to begin. I mean, maybe we should do some of these exercises together, Emily. I can gently walk you through how like your mother or father you are. And then you can gently walk me through what I'm like. Oh yeah, because it, it, you know, because maybe, maybe, maybe sometimes to do it with a therapist or a trusted friend, um, yeah, you know, maybe doing it by yourself is is too hard sometimes. Uh, yeah, I think it is really hard because you don't get that feedback. Mm. So absolutely, and I suppose it's that gentle questioning that if you've got a friend that you trust or a therapist, you know, it's one way. It's kind of having to. It's quite a skill, I think, to step outside of your body almost and look at yourself. And, and feedback to yourself well, I sort of, you know so. you know it's like your idea of the fertile void I mean you know I just we just want the fertile void to tell us we're doing really really well yes. no, that's what we're, <laughs> yeah. we're doing great yeah no, but it's also yeah. also exactly like you said you know quite hard on your own to to work out what are the so when you think about the sort of inner voice and the, the person that's saying you need to work harder whether that comes yeah. from something that you want or whether it comes from you know a parent or a school system or whatever so actually yeah. like dropping down 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 to yeah. your pure yeah. voice yeah. is really I mean is a really difficult thing to do the knowing the knowing exactly yeah but I love yeah the, I love the was it Glenn Doyle who went and sat in the cupboard to yeah. try and connect with the knowing yes in the yeah. dark sort of you know taking off I think so um we might not have time to do that but then um all the will all the cupboard to be fair I mean I don't have any space in my cupboard do you 
What, to go and sit in? No. No, God, no. Anyway, sorry, Glennon. I, I think a lot of people try and find, like, uh, an intellectual cognitive way through this, you know, that oh, it makes sense if I give this new career a go because I'm like this, this and this. But actually, it, that doesn't work for everybody. And I think we could get too stuck in our heads. So what, what I also suggest in the book is to follow the energy. So so if you've got an idea, don't don't kind of pounce on it and put it, just sit with it see whether you still feel encouraged by it or, you know, you've got, you can't fake energy. So if, if there's that little spark inside of you that thinks that's quite interesting. Yeah. And then the next day, yeah, it's still quite interesting. And then the day after that. And so I try and find different ways that people can access, you know, what might be right for them rather than just staying with that intellectual, it makes sense for me to do this. Uh, another thing is, um, and I know that this that this resonates with some of my um, clients as well, which is like, it's kind of what would the wise figure within you say? <laughs> the wise woman. <laughs> the wise yeah, woman. Yeah, yeah. And like, what do you already know that you just haven't said out loud or that that will happen in the next year? Wow, that's quite, that's something, isn't it? But that's... also, I mean, yes, I, I like that idea of, of, of the knowing, but also it, you can flip that, and you talk about this in your book, I think it's Freudian, which is that unexpressed feelings never die. So there's oh, the stuff that yeah. you know, and there's the stuff that you have to either unknow or let go of or express yeah. in such a way that you can leave it behind. Yeah. Can you talk Absolutely. to us a bit about those things that, that, that weigh us down? Yeah, I think it's kind of about anything that you kind of repress is going to come back again, really. So what I talk about in the book is if there's some change that you think you may need to make, and let's say this is a relationship change, because a lot of people have been together at this point for like 20, 30 years. And, you know, you if you have a sense that it's your relationship has like run its course, then you might distract yourself because you don't want to deal with that. You can distract yourself with pleasure. So, and that's what people tend to do. So, and I call them in the book anesthetizing behaviors. So that might be, you know, shopping or spending money or, uh, okay, let's move house and let's buy, let's refurbish the house or whatever it might be. So all these things kind of go on, but all that happens, it's a bit, a bit like when you know that your career doesn't work for you anymore, you distract yourself with pleasure. Um, and then you come straight back to square one. So it's still not been tackled. You've not dealt with the underlying issue. So, I mean, it is a quite a deep book, really. It isn't a surface level, speak to yourself in the mirror, say these wonderful things to yourself, because that, that's just bullshit. It just doesn't work, really. So this is about digging down and looking at the fundamental aspects of your life that you need to change so that you create a life that you connect with in the here and now. It's a current life that works for you. Mm. I think that that's what you've been doing. Me? Yeah. Have I? Yeah, See? I do. No idea. Well, Go no, on. no, but I'm just thinking about it now. Uh, as we're using the safe space of the podcast, with whatever. Safe to, private to, space, yes, thanks exactly, a lot. Yeah, to talk about it. No, but I think that you have, you know, there's been quite a lot of isolating, but I actually think it's been very productive, which is why you keep coming, you know, this is like the third time this year, and we're only in April, that you've come back with radical thoughts, as we talked about at the beginning. So it's almost like you've been thinking, okay, I want to make these changes. It feels uncomfortable. I'm feeling uncomfortable. And then you're spending some time and then you come in and you say, actually, I think we should do this. And you have been right, bang on every time. Well, I think that I, I suppose if we're, I suppose I'm, what I'm, the way I'm thinking about it, now that I think about how I'm thinking about it, which I've never thought about before, is I suppose <laughs> if your life is a bit of a pie chart, I'm thinking about how much of that pie I'm prepared to take out and hand over to risk. 
Yeah. You know, with the idea that good stuff could come in. And if it doesn't, it means that my life isn't going to fall apart. It's just going to not work. And then we think again. So so they, they, they feel radical, but they're not that radical. No, but I suppose I suppose it's just the fact that you're just not prepared to keep going on no, in the same that, direction. That's and I think what that resonated with me thought. about Julie's book is yeah. that this idea of you know you can't spend your whole life wanting change and being terrified of change and just not doing anything. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you, you know, because you are going to do exactly the same thing all over again, really. So, but you are right. It is about managing the risk and also managing the anxiety that comes with it. So, you know, if you're in this liminal space and you're kind of thinking new things or new careers or culling off some of your friends or, you know, taking up different hobbies or you're really going to tackle your relationship because you want to stay together, but your needs and wants have changed. So that means big conversations. It does feel risky, I think. But I think, you know, and a lot of people say, well, it only seems to be me that's going through the midlife crisis. Now, some people won't raise their head above the parapet and they'll just carry on and life will be good enough. So like in psychology, the big thing about things being good enough is like the good enough parent and the good enough life, that sort of stuff anyway. So but this book is for those people that say, actually, I can't I can't carry on like this. Um, and look, nobody wants a flipping midlife crisis. We can all do without it. We've all got enough on our plate anyway. But this is for the people that if they just can't tolerate their life anymore and they need to change. So for me, it's the people that come to therapy that they're, you know, because, you know, lots of people don't go to therapy and that's fair enough. Or they meet their friends and sit down and really talk it out and stuff. But it's when life is becoming unbearable, really, or there's been a big shift and I think that's what triggers the midlife crisis. There is a, a, a profound loss, and that might be, you know, the loss of energy. So menopause can also kind of trigger a lot of this as well. You know, it might be the loss of the role that you've always had, or you know, particularly for empty nesters. Uh, it might be loss of status that you didn't get the job promotion that you wanted, um, or it might be loss of health. You know, 50s is, is like a really dodgy time for a lot of men, men particularly, and women, when they start to lose their health, lose their looks, feel like they're getting older, you know, lose their vitality. So this can all trigger that identity crisis. And it's, it's um, you know, it's, it's a really tough time to try and piece together a life that is actually worth living. And because boredom is what I see uh, here a lot of. And that's quite shameful, isn't it? Like, I'm bored of my life, well, This is right? what I was saying. Yeah. The, the heroism in saying, I'm prepared to say that this is not what I'd hoped it would be. And I feel huge yeah. shame around that because we're, we're all yeah. run by that. And particularly when you take yeah. a generation of women who are now, let's say, between 40 and 60, who were told yeah. that they could have it all. And then they found out yeah. that that meant doing it all and feeling it all. And then they sat up uh, one yeah. morning and realised they hadn't pulled it off. And then they thought... Yeah. Fuck, I hate myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's absolutely. it's really heartbreaking. The other thing is, it's interesting actually thinking about it, The that it would be good if it was, you know, I know we're talking, we're laughing about the midlife awakening, but we also, you know, we discussed, we said in the introduction that it is an opportunity that somehow yeah. we should be taught about our lives as not being, particularly because we live so much longer, particularly because women's roles changed and have changed so much particularly as, you know, education system, particularly as technology, AI, all these things that are coming that we should actually think about our lives in, in different segments rather than thinking them as the, as the kind of traditional gold watch at the end, well done, retire, whatever. And you hopefully yeah. you will have had 2.4 children and this is what you're expected to have done. 
and that yeah. actually we could think about them in sections in a way that was kind of wonderful mm. and exciting for people. If you said you don't have to choose one thing for the rest of your life mm. when you're 18. Mm. I think we're all clubbed around the head with this idea of find something you're passionate about. I notice that when people have got kids who are sort of leaving school or university yeah. and they're like, find yeah. something you're passionate about. I think that's quite a cruel thing to say to a young yeah. person or anybody because the pressure yeah. of that is enormous. It's, isn't it about having the confidence to just try a gig out, try a bit of this, not sure what it will yield. It doesn't really matter. You can just yeah. have a look around and be a bit of an explorer. Yeah, and you'll learn it's, something yeah. and you'll be able to bring something to, you know, another string to your bow, but not that. I don't mean that in a kind of, so you'll become a sort of hugely successful person just because it will just point you in a different direction. Yeah, just find something you're passionate about. It, that, that would paralyse me. Yeah, I get that. But I think it's about permission, giving yourself permission to try out something new. And if it doesn't work, saying that's okay go back to you know so where did it start to go wrong where did I where did I know I wasn't finding that of, of enough interest when did the energy start to dip you know so so what do you say yeah. to people when they go yeah I'd love to do all these exercises and get to know myself and increase my self-awareness and fling open the doors to the future but I'm fucking tired and I don't have the energy I definitely get that that's why it's taken me so many years to write I think it's, you know, it's um, a lot of people are burnt out and a lot of people are exhausted from living a life that actually doesn't connect with what they want to be doing with their lives. So I I say to a certain extent, rest. Let the body tell you when it is ready to get up, find something curious, you know, and actually follow through. When When you go on the computer, onto Google, and you type in something, you know, whatever that might be, whether it be thinking about going back to horse riding, you know, or, you know, just almost watch yourself Mm. through your own process. But at this age, you know, do not force the energy. I would say wait, Mm. you know, and revitalise before you start to kind of recalibrate your life. I think often, um, you know, if people have children, they may well have had them, you know, in their 40s. So what you can have is a exhausting cycle of a three-year-old, perimenopause and a midlife crisis. And then there is, there is, then... then It's the holy trinity. (laughs) (laughs) The unholy. (laughs) And then then there is no rest. No. So you would have to just say, I will get to this. At some point. Is it possible to do that? Well, it depends whether it's just too uncomfortable living this life you don't want Mm. or whether the the balance is such that it's it's good enough for now. Mm. And you can you can say, I'm going to do this until the kids leave school, leave home or or whatever it might be. It's such a personal journey. But life for some people is intolerable and they have to make changes. Mm. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a given, I suppose, for them really that it's, they've got to do something about it because they can feel themselves going downhill. It's just about balancing it all the time. And also it's recognising that midlife crisis, there can be a real urgency around it. Isn't, it isn't just an indulgence, is it? No, there's no way an existential crisis is an indulgence. I think you can get caught up in this, this is the first world problem, you know, that because, you know, but I think, and I always see that um, in, in my own clients as well, you know, you know, they say, but people are in a worse position than I'm in and that sort of stuff. But I think what that does is minimises somebody's personal struggle. Mm. So, because if you're having an existential crisis, you're having an identity crisis, let's say your kids have left home and you put all this energy, time, money, love into getting your kids up and running and now they've gone and that is no longer a part of your identity the feeling that can go with that the devastation is not an overindulgence in any way shape or mm. form 
We reserve the idea of grief, don't we, often for death and yeah. and maybe latterly for heartbreak, but not yeah. the grief that can surround the everyday. Correct. It's the profound loss, the profound loss. So as I said, anything that you've invested in with the energy or time or love or money, and that is no longer part of your identity, it can be devastating. Mm. Yeah. You know? and, and also when people go into retirement, because a lot of people, yeah, they might be having kids in their 40s, but a lot of people might be retiring. A lot of my friends now in their 60s are starting to retire. Yeah. And that's a really dodgy time that is so severely overlooked as well, um, because there's so much loss there. You know, a lot of people are looking forward to retirement, but a lot of people will base their identity on their work yeah. and on productivity productivity and when that's gone and I've seen GPs take um, people off their antidepressants because they're going into retirement and that is the time they should continue on there until they till they form a life that's worth living which is purposeful and meaningful for for you know the next five years or ten years and then and then just keep shaping it up as you go yeah so yes see yourself as as a work in progress yeah yeah I think that's ongoing so good to see that exactly that you will change that you will move that things are not going to stay the same ultimately it's obviously anxious making for people who want to pin things down but it does mean that you don't have to have the answers and that is a good thing isn't it yeah definitely definitely and it's okay to pay yourself a bit of attention without being you know my worry is that you know I'll always be I'll be very boring about it but for whom? Well, for me and for anybody who, you know, had the misfortune to be around me. But I think that's just shame, really, isn't it? Or never boring. You're well, so that's nice to if me. You want to, if you want to ask, what are you like? Not boring. <laughs> but that go. would be about you letting go of that, that chitter-chatter role, you know, the, the talkative thing. You know, so whether you can let go of that and enjoy the silence for a minute while you recalibrate. Mm-hmm. And when, when I talk about letting go of attachments, we're talking about people in there as well. So anyone that doesn't support your onwards journey, you know, you'd have to kind of question, you know, if they're saying, well, we don't want to hang around you anymore because you're a bit boring, you've got a bit quiet. Well, what's what's that all about for them, really? Because it's about you kind of staying on track and finding what you need. And if people can't support that existential journey, then are they are they good friends? Are there people that you want around? You know, that they can't give you the space to grow. This is about a personal growth journey. So I think I'd want mates around me that were like, yeah, take your time. You know, we'll be here. It um, feels like a form of recovery, doesn't yeah, it, Emily? Like recovery yeah. from your former self. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. And that's what that's what Julie was saying about your isolating tendencies, that they're about recovery. <laughs> your isolating tendencies. <laughs> your isolating tendencies. <laughs> Well, you know, but also the other thing about isolating tendencies is there's a difference between silence that is actually stillness, where, you know, beautiful things can grow, and silence that is vibrating with, you know, loneliness and anxiety. Of course, yeah. Yeah, correct. So Uh, I think silence is really important and and very restorative for a lot of people, but you have to have the opportunity to reconnect with the real world as well. Otherwise, it becomes loneliness. Mm. It's never done, is it, Julie? It isn't ever done. And that's why it's so important. Like, I think a lot of people's values were questioned during lockdown as well. That Did family then become important? How important was work? Where is the fun? Where is autonomy as well? When we're actually all being told to stay in our houses as well. And, and to what extent, you know, people are dying and suffering throughout the world. How can I contribute back to that? Mm. So, so absolutely. So I think that external circumstances can change our internal world as well, really. So I, I think it is about being aware, 
you know, self-awareness makes you create choices for yourself. But if you can make those choices based on what's important to you now, then you're going to live a more connected life. Well, I think it might be possible in light of what we talked about. that If someone says, oh, God, I think I'm having a midlife crisis. The answer to that could be how amazing this is going to be. Fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, it is so ridiculed, which is a shame, really. And especially if you outwardly have all the trappings of sort of success, you know, you've got the career, you've got the house, you've got the, the relationship, the kids, the kids are private, it's got all this sort of stuff. It's very easy for people not to give you any understanding or any empathy or sympathy. But at the end of the day, it's a crisis that you're kind of going through, an identity crisis. You're questioning who you are. And that's a frightening place to be. Mm. But it's about slowing that process down, starting at the very basics which is like, okay, let's start to recalibrate and think about what's important to me now. I mean, when do we ever do that? Mm-hmm. You know, when do we actually sit down other than maybe going in therapy or a friend who's going through a crisis and we sit down and kind of work out what's really important now? And, and that, that should be the fundamental, that's the, the pillar really that's going to keep your life upheld really. Emily? Over lunch, we're doing some exercises. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm going to say, everybody, Dr. Julie says rest. Oh, no, 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 there'll be no rest for you this lunchtime. We're going to be talking about your mother and your father. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming to see us. And um, we can highly recommend The Midlife Crisis Handbook by Dr. Julie Hannon. And um, yes, we're going to be following through, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Thank Dr. Julie. Thank Pleasure. you, Dr. Bye. Julie. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily Whitmeekin of The Middle. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe. <laughs>